Greetings, parish orphans and retrogrades. Timothy Gordon here. Justice Clarence Thomas has taken on, at least in theory, the idea of what we all call big tech. And he's taken it on in such a way that it gives us hope to believe that under existing law, under existing legal theory, without significant change to the, the jurisprudence of what we call big tech law, it can be challenged. The censorship wing of the modern left can be taken on and altered. I'm going to read to you some from an article by Roger Severino, and uh, it's a National Review piece. It's good stuff. It's really important, and it is the way forward. We'll talk about that in a sec. I missed a show on Monday because, gosh, at the end of the semester, I am both a student and a teacher. I'm a doctoral student and I am getting papers together. Things are getting real, real crazy as they did at the end of the fall semester. So I ducked out of a show, but I missed you guys. And I wanted to tell parish orphans and retrogrades out there that one week from tomorrow is the startup date for two new retrogrades academy courses, if you will. One is the second, the, the, the first re-upping the second version of the course called Church History was really popular. Go to timothyjgordon.com and click enroll to get in that class in this last week, seven and a half days before the class starts. The other course is a Rules for Retrogrades Community Organizing from the Right Wing course. And it's a great, it's going to be a great time. I've never run this thing before, but we go through the Rules for Retrogrades book rule by rule through 40 of them. And it's going to be great fun. So, so timothyjgordon.com is the place to go. Click enroll and um, you will not be disappointed. We're getting testimonials now from the first couple semesters of Aristotle's ethics and church history. It's just one of the silver linings of this whole 2020 beer bug year is everyone, you know, the young, the middle-aged, the old all know how to use Zoom and it's a great chance for adult ed. Also, go to realestateforlife.org if you're looking to get out of your state, which you should be if you live in a blue state. Get to a blood red state. The good folks at realestateforlife.org will help you move to a place like Mississippi or Alabama or take your pick wherever you've always dreamed of going. There's no better time than now to go so that your neighbors in town, across town, in your neighborhood, even if you've never met them, will be people that share the rest publica with you, public Christianity. This is the way, this is the way forward to get where you need to go and where you need to go is around other good Christians, not in those crazy blue states like New York or California, where I come from. Okay, so it's very, very important that if you haven't heard about it, you go to this piece, Justice Thomas questions censorship, power of big tech at National Review by Roger Severino. Let me read you a couple paragraphs from the article. Today, Justice Thomas appended an intriguing concurrence to a short discussion concerning whether President Trump had violated the First Amendment by blocking a limited number of people from his Twitter account's comment threads. The Second Circuit had found the president's Twitter account to be a public forum subject to free speech protections, but due to a change in presidents, the court found the case moot and took the extra step of vacating the decision entirely in a two-sentence order. The signals 
that the high court is not ready, uh, I'm sorry, this signals that the high court is not ready to deem government Twitter accounts public forums yet, but Justice Thomas wrote separately and at length to question whether the Twitter platform itself is the true public forum worthy of regulation. After all, although the case was mooted by a change in administration, it was also mooted by Twitter banning President Trump from the platform, which begs the question, who has more actual power to suppress speech, President Trump, who excluded some users from his comment thread, or the company that evicted him from the platform permanently and cut him off from his 89 million followers? That's a rhetorical question that Severino asks, and it's rhetorical because, like all rhetorical questions, its answer is self-evident. Twitter is, in terms of winning friends and influencing people, far more influential, powerful, than even the ex-president of the free world, President Trump. They kicked a president, you know, within a, a month of an election, off of their platform. Who would do this? Well, uh, the censor block folk, the people who want to make certain types of speech illegal. And they haven't been able to make it illegal as in unlawful. They've made it impossible to do on these large fora like Twitter. There's a reason for this. There's a very dis distinct reason for this, and we'll maybe talk about it as we go forward. I'll continue with Severino's article right now. According to Justice Thomas, if part of the problem is private concentrated control over online content and platforms available to the public, then part of the solution may be found in doctrines that limit the right of a private company to exclude. He cites historical regulations and requirements placed on common carriers. I'm kind of disappointed I didn't think of this legal theory. It's an obvious one. Common carriers are those things such as railroads and phone companies requiring them to serve the general public, even if they're technically private. There, uh, and similar laws governing gathering places such as restaurants and amusement parks. It's an equal protection provision. This is an open invitation for Congress to step in and rein in the power of big tech in the name of free speech principles. Even though you've heard it here on this channel, that generally speaking, when we talk about our First Amendment free speech rights, we are talking about rights where a plaintiff would defend his rights against the defendant who must be the government. You know, Bill of Rights rights, in the strictest sense, involve a governmental defendant. Now, um, common carriers alter this a little bit, and, and uh, the article explains why. Uh, Justice Thomas leaves us with a tantalizing question. Regardless of any congressional action, does the First Amendment already apply to big tech companies because they now have more power to suppress public speech than government does? It's an important question. It's not a rhetorical one. Per Justice Thomas, if the aim is to ensure that speech is not smothered, then the more glaring concern must perforce be the dominant digital platforms themselves, which are, of course, private companies. The extent to which that power matters for purposes of the First Amendment and the extent to which that power could lawfully be modified raise interesting and important questions. Interesting and important indeed. Justice Thomas left us a clue to how this might play out by twice citing a case from 1980 called Pruneyard Shopping Center versus Robbins. There, the Supreme Court held 
that California could require private malls to allow pamphleteers seeking to orderly distribute reading materials inside the malls without infringing on the free speech rights of the mall itself. This means that if a court today, for example, required Amazon to reverse its ban on my EPPC colleague Ryan Anderson's book on transgender policy, it would not be an unconstitutional forced endorsement of Anderson's message because no one reasonably believes Amazon endorses the contents of any of the other tens of thousands of books it sells. So the, the point is, we don't want the free, we have a kind of double inverse um, free speech situation now. Usually, we can, we're concerned in First Amendment free speech matters with the common carriers themselves who have rights as against the public sector, the government. We don't want the government regulating the rights of New York Times to, to borrow uh, some famous 20th century cases or other newspapers or shopping malls or railroads or anything like that. Any common carriers, usually we're considering them, the plaintiff and the government, the defendant. This is a weird situation where the power dynamic has been shifted such that the government would actually be in, in some sense, in some analogous sense, like the plaintiff, defending the rights of individual users of these common carriers like Twitter or Facebook against the companies themselves, which in this case are considered powerful enough to be analogizable to the government agent. So that this is how common carrier jurisprudence plays out. And I studied it in law school. And I, again, I'm disappointed in myself that I didn't think that this would be a plausible legal theory for sustaining a challenge against private companies who really are chilling free speech, more than chilling free speech. They're actually acting as Maoist, complete censor block type censors. I mean, you, you don't get a lot more direct than the type of censorship that has been engaged by Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google, et cetera. It is rather specific. Now, I guess Ryan Anderson is a, a, a guy who I, I know of. I've read his work. I don't know him personally. He has a book on transgender policy. And um, evidently, Amazon has banned it. Now, Amazon is another one of these, theoretically at least, a common carrier. They're, they're the private company big enough to be mistakable as the censorer, which is normally the government. And they ban a book. So it would not be, according to Roger Severino, it would not be any kind of concerning um, government chilling of free speech for First Amendment jurisprudence to be held against the common carriers themselves, who are the ones that are actually doing the private sector censorship or banning. And the concern you would have is that like, well, wouldn't the government or wouldn't the Supreme Court, if it ruled on this in favor of someone like Ryan Anderson, who had his book banned, wouldn't this be a governmental endorsement of Ryan Anderson's book? No, no one's concerned about that. The minority viewpoint or the sizable, you know, majority minority viewpoint represented by Ryan Anderson or any Christian who writes a sensible book on this policy is the one that's fallen out of fashion, the one that's being chilled in terms of the free speech that it represents. 
So it's not a government endorsement. Just if we said, sorry, uh, Amazon, sorry, Twitter, sorry, Facebook, sorry, Google, you can't do this. Got to play nice. No one reasonably believes Amazon endorses the contents of any of the other tens of thousands of books it sells. So I think, I think doesn't Amazon sell well over a hundred thousand books? It says tens of thousands, but we used to go on those Amazon rankings and they go up to like a million. Yeah. And you don't want to be ranked near the million because <laughs> that means that your your book is not selling well. You don't want to be ranked in the hundred thousandth, but I, I've, I've seen it. Pruneyard is the case, the jurisprudence which matters. It came almost 35 years after the Supreme Court first held in Marsh versus Alabama that the free speech clause can apply to speech occurring on purely private property. So right away, we don't need a strictly speaking government defendant. In Marsh, the court found that the First Amendment prohibited a company town from using the police or courts to enforce trespassing laws against Jehovah's Witnesses who are handing out literature, poor little guys, on a privately, purely privately owned and maintained sidewalk. According to the court, private ownership does not always mean absolute dominion. And in this case, it would mean diplomatic immunity from a lawsuit such as this. The more an owner, for his advantage, opens up his property for use by the public in general, the more do his rights become circumscribed by the statutory and constitutional rights of those who use it. Since their operation is essentially a public function, it is subject to state regulation. Boom. Now, this is not normally a, a judicial judge-made law type doctrine that I would enthusiastically endorse. I would, I would normally, uh, you know, restrainedly condemn it. But the, the it's less of a stretch to call Amazon or Twitter common carriers than I think it is a you know a private sidewalk owner. It's more necessary, arguably, and this is not some um, non-negotiable constitutional precept to to allow this kind of regulation. Now you got to be careful with you know the invitation of any sort of government regulation because we know who runs Washington D.C. We know what the bluest county in the United States of America is. We know the bluest county is D.C. and Fairfax. You know, all the all the immediately surrounding areas of Washington, D.C. are far liberaler by voting records than any of the other liberal cities in America because it's all bureaucrats. It's all government employees, essentially, who live in and around Washington, D.C., making the laws for all of us. We know that they are the masters of the apparatus. They know how to implement the machine in their leftist ways, which is why we always lose. So you don't want to try to use the governmental regulative apparatus against them, except it, this might be one, and I haven't full-throatedly endorsed it, but this would be one of the cases that would be, uh, I think, a meaningful exception to this rule. We don't want to use their weapon against us, hyper-regulation. This is a good candidate for being the exception to the rule. Okay. The court continued, whether a corporation or a municipality owns or possesses the town, the public in either case has an identical interest in the functioning of the community in such manner that the channels of communication remain free. So that's kind of the key sentence. It doesn't matter whether it's publicly or privately held. 
the the compelling interest is there to allow communication channels to remain free. To act as good citizens, they must be informed. In order to enable them to be properly informed, their information must be uncensored. Boy, you tell it, brother. There is no more reason for depriving these people of the liberties guaranteed by the first, first and 14th Amendments than there is for curtailing these freedoms with respect to any other citizen. Now, the First Amendment is obvious. The 14th Amendment would in, in, um, be listed here because incorporation doctrine means that the First Amendment can be incorporated against the state governments, not just the Fed. And because the 14th Amendment has another provision, the Equal Protection Clause, which has been largely abused. Nevertheless, that's what they're referring to. The Marsh decision is still good law. Perhaps it'll soon be applied to the equivalent company, towns, and town squares that so many of us inhabit in the digital age known as Google, Amazon, and Twitter. That's the end of Severino's article. So it's it's a sign of hope. I mean, I do. look, Justice Clarence Thomas is one of the finest uh, Supreme Court jurists to ever sit on the bench. Um, he, he's not afraid to talk about natural law. He's not afraid to talk about, um, to extend Scalian originalism more into the realm of um, ethics and natural law than, than Scalia himself was willing to do. And he's he's just a real American hero, Justice Thomas. And the funny thing is, this, someone pointed this out to me earlier today. He's an ultimate, ultimate win for, I, I don't really go around using the Marxist term community a lot, but but for um, leftists who love the term, for the black community, which implies locality, which which isn't even a thing. For the black community, what a, what a champ, what a great, uh, you know, a, a polished stone. What a, what an absolute, gem that is never touted he's never um flown proudly during things like black history month simply because he's not of the right ideological persuasion which for them is everything i mean ideology trumps even skin color when we're talking about the left we're talking about the ultimate racists who care about skin color not the content of your character you know i I don't i don't care these these things are boring talking about you know someone's uh, color of their skin. It's just, it's, you know, for generations past to, to, to care one way or the other. I just, I like him because he's a good jurist. I like Scalia because he's a good jurist. They're the greatest of all time who were buddies and sat on the court together for uh, over a decade. At the same time, that was a real privilege for SCOTUS to be graced by both of those guys, Scalia and Thomas. And I couldn't care less what, what, what you know, each guy's, whatever 23 and me makeup was it 23 and me 30 33 and me 17 and up yeah um i couldn't care less but the other side does they're the identitarians that play the the racial racist you know identity politics game till the cows come home and there's one obvious reason why justice thomas is not on their list for extended black history month i was on Netflix or Amazon the other day, and they're still doing Black History Month stuff. I'm like, I thought that was uh, toward the beginning of the year. I, I can't remember which uh, which month it is. One of the one of the first three months, I think. Uh, who, who cares, right? <laughs> but um, 
It's definitely not April. I know that we're now in April and they're still touting him. Well, why not Justice Thomas? He's awesome. He's one of my intellectual heroes. I I had the chance to meet him twice in law school because I was a FedSoc president and I I don't like to fly and I didn't want to be away from my wife from, from coast to coast, but I really wanted to meet him for what it's worth. It's kind of a bad story, but he's a real hero. And I, I used to, you know, just for fun before and during law school, read some of his saltier opinions and Scalia's saltier opinions. These guys are just masters with the pen. The pen certainly appears mightier than the sword in the right hand, like Scalia or Thomas. And I really admire this man having nothing to do with the reason that the other side, the identitarians would admire him if they were so bold, but they, they don't admire him anyway, because he says sensible things. So the point is, this is something which bears watching, okay? It bears watching because there is a real storm brewing and it has much to do with censorship. Censorship is just the beginning. It's already begun. You already know about it. I'm not going to talk about it. It's kind of kind of a snooze at this point, but it's worth saying that there's this common carrier legal theory, which should avail us of maybe some protection. I'm not a huge fan of it, you know, regulative intervention. I don't know what else to do, though. I'm kind of out of ideas. Anyway, so this is this is uh, Justice Thomas doing what he does. He's he's a, a jurisprude hero. And you should support him. He's a good Catholic and he's got an awesome wife who's never shy about putting out their uh, good Catholic, super conservative points of view. I will take a quick question. I, I would trouble you, unfortunately, I know, with um, just the means, the instrumentality of supporting this show and me and mine, if you're so interested sadly enough, it's Patreon. Patreon, we go to my Patreon page if you want to support the show. You can get cool gizmos and um, you know paraphernalia for the show and you can interact with us. When I go into you know hibernation mode and I don't put out as many shows, I haven't had too many of these hibernation modes in, in two years of doing this. But if I do, I, I will make sure if it's a week where I only put out one or two shows, which is very scant for me. Normally I do three or four. I will connect with patrons by doing live streams just for them. You know, we give them content first when it's exclusive. We give them, you know, free stuff sometimes. It's it's a cool deal. You know how Patreon works. I think you have a live stream only on page for patrons this Friday. This Friday? Is it this Friday? Yeah, it's this Friday. You okay. The, um, and we also, we've been trying to do more conferences and stuff too. We had a, a friend on who did a Tolkien conference for patrons only and yeah that was cool more things like that people like that we're going to do another tolkien he's a he's a sort of self-studied tolkien expert and a, a good friend and man I, I was learning as as anthony was talking we're going to have anthony back on it's just cool it's cool to get insider stuff hey esotericism <laughs> we can do it too right uh the the patreon way so if you would see my patreon page i hate to talk about it much it's a little embarrassing but it's the way that good programming happens. It doesn't happen overnight. Conservatives are really, really bad about you're sitting around watching TV with all your conservative family and friends. And you're like, why aren't there any good Christian movies? Because they're all a joke, right? The quality's super low. We need to change that. But then, you know, maybe that's 
after dinner. During dinner, the conversation was like, oh, what do you do for a living if you're meeting your daughter or your sister's boyfriend? And if it's anything creative, half of the, you know, more than half of the conservative guys at the table are, are kind of eyeing him askance. Like, well, why are you trying to do something creative? We can't talk out both sides of our mouth. If we want conservatives doing anything besides oil and gas jobs and, and the super ta- tangible, you know, which we need that too. I worked in the oil and gas industry, but oil and gas, medical, lawyering, the standard fair stuff for conservatives, then if we want to control the culture, then we have to be, there have to be people doing this. You know, it doesn't have to be me. I like doing it. Hopefully you like me doing it, but it's got to be conservatives. When you've been people like you do that, it also kind of blacklists you from getting those oil and gas jobs <laughs> ever again. Yeah. So yeah. It becomes a little bit more important. <laughs> right. It's a little bit of a, Hey, that's not my violin sob yeah. story. It's just, if you like what you see, whether it's me or anybody else, it's a general principle. It's the first principle of crowdsourcing. Try to reach out to them. I, 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 have been meaning to become a patron myself of some of the old school NBA videos I watch. One's called Basketball Time Machine. Another one's called Thinking Basketball. You can tell it's a math nerd that just does super deep stats on basketball. Maybe some of you watched it. It's really good stuff. We are patrons to a lot of um, Catholic Catholic websites and podcasts and stuff already as well, because it is important to also spread that around. Right. Um, did you want to take some questions? Sure. Um, let's do a few quick ones. Um, there's some people that are asking, um, there's some news that Biden is going to be coming out with some gun control tomorrow. executive order tomorrow. They want to yeah. hear your thoughts on what you think it might be. Yeah, it'll probably be collapsible gun parts, uh, um, buildable gun parts, I mean, is what this is expected to be in this ridiculous EO. It's not, pr- I, according to what I've read and what my friends think, um, my, my law talking friends think, this should be buildable, probably buildable ARs, you know, which you can, you know, they're going to, they're going to require you to register the buildable parts for ARs, which have it, stuff like that, collapsible, buildable, modular uh, AR. So they, they, or they might be more aggressive, but I mean, they're not going to, if you have an AR out there, if I'm talking to you, Sorry. then it might not be that they're coming for your AR unequivocally yet, unless they get a little aggressive. This admin has been quite hard to predict, has it not? Yeah. Well, I, it, I thought they'd be aggressive in the first hundred days. Now they're, they're starting to ramp up to it. Who knows? But I, I think it'll be collapsible, buildable, modular uh, weapons. Okay. Um, somebody is asking, um, what do you think about Ron DeSantis? Um, and they made a joke about him being emperor of the Holy, Holy American Empire in 2024. <laughs> uh, uh, he seems cool. I mean, I'd, I'd love to meet the guy. And he, he's got good stats and he's pretty based on the beer bug. We'll see. We'll see if he hangs tough. We'll see if he gets swampy as his star rises. That's what happens to a lot of these Republicans. They, their star rises a bit and they get swampier. I mean, we watched it happen in a, in a de minimis way to Trump himself. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Stay strong, little root. You know, you got to stay strong as your star rises if you're a, a, a conservative star in the Republican Party. And also, we don't want to watch our rising stars in the conservative, you know, among conservative Republicans drift too far to the populist side of things. We want to we want to keep things, you know, Thomistic, keep things nice and liberty oriented. 
without without you know making without making you know free enterprise some sort of demigod because it's not it's and it's not sacred necessarily we we don't want we i'm telling you now people we want good super right wingers that might be able to capture some of the populist enthusiasm and again it's perfectly fine to to legislate morality at the state level right so if you're saying based florida make drag queen story hour completely illegal dope you can do that with the police power thank you 10th amendment um that's so that's the kind of populism we can do we can't go so far that we're you know destroying subsidiarity the subsidiarity that the originally ratified constitution actually stands for that that would be too far we don't want to destroy liberty it's not uh, a god which failed or anything like that it's just american protestant enlightenment forms of pseudo liberty uh which is mistaken liberty non-catholic liberty that that's failed us we just need to catholicize it and that means a nice healthy balance of liberty with um at the state level maybe a little bit of this populism like um, keep your eye on desantis some guy um somebody's asking college guy here live in cali central valley with with a farm job employer is a good guy but wants me to get the maxine um what should i do uh wink i got gotcha. you the maxine yeah i look man i mean it's an issue of prudence if it were me i i wouldn't do it that's but but I'm not I'm not condemning you if you do. Look, we were just going through my record on beer bug and the Maxine. The beer bug cure is another way of codifying that. And it's pretty stellar on this one. I mean, I'm not one of these guys, I never claimed to be a prophet, but I, I will I will tout my own credentials when we were going back through all the Catholic channels that were that uh were dealing with beer bug at the beginning of 2020. And a lot of them went within a space of six or seven weeks. I'm not going to name names, but it was almost everyone besides me. And, um, you know, Steve Skojek, who has a different point of view on this, we, we friendly like debated it. But we were two of the only ones that didn't do this weird two-step thing where we went from saying beer bug is, you know, a plague from God, punishment from God. I, I never said that because it's because that was clearly grandiloquent and, and overstated to within six or seven weeks saying the exact opposite that it's, you know, is this whole thing being overhyped, right? I was all along saying, well, there's a third position here and it has to do with uh, the way the facts are being arranged. And I've, I pretty much had the same position all along. So yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm no extremist. I'm just extremely uh, common sense on on this issue and, and same thing with the the maxine so lots of people are making this their religion pro or con i would just say look i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do it I, i'm not gonna i ain't gonna do it and um your employer has no right to tell you that but if you you know deem it as an issue of your book six nicomachean ethics phronesis prudence you just think i don't like it but i'm gonna go along with it i ain't calling you a coward it's a little cowardly, but I ain't calling you a coward. I mean, you got to do what you got to do as long as it's not a, you're not violating any of the, the, the categorical imperatives, the intrinsic evils out there. And it, it wouldn't become intrinsic evil if you take the one that, you know, isn't made from uh, abortion or, or what have you. 
but no, I'm not even tangling with it. No one in my family will. From from me and my house, we we serve the Lord. And um, but my but I'm I'm not coming down. Better on you, job than the Maxine ever will. What did my immune system? Yeah, yeah. I'm functioning on all cylinders. I'm perfectly fine. Do we get a strike for saying immune system? Maybe. Yeah, probably. Um, somebody's saying that your hair is very lethal weapon one. <laughs> it is today. That's a legit comment. That's so, that it's so, but I mean, look, uh, people ask why I use the big headphones. It's to keep this tiger under control, this tiger on my head from, you can growl, but I don't want it biting. You know what I mean? It's near all my facial organs and, um, and I can kind of get it to do what I want it to do. It's, it's a bit long. I need to cut. I was thinking of pulling these these kind of mullet mullet hairs in back into a ponytail, which I never I never do. I think one day what but you should do. It would have looked ridiculous if I turned to the side. I don't want it down there anymore. So you very, very lethal weapon one. But so am I. It's a lethal it. weapon. Just what? show up one day with it completely shaved and see what people blow everyone's mind. I did this for a debate, very public debate that we held on my old high school where I where I taught. And kind of to get psyched up, like I would do before basketball games, I shaved it just from long to totally, well, you know, two guards shaved. And, you know, three of my daughters or two of my daughters cried for like an hour. My grandma was and, living with us. She wept. Everyone was was weeping. All the females were weeping at the table. Yeah, there was gnashing of teeth and, and uh, <laughs> tearing of garments. Yeah, thank you, though. I, I take that as a compliment because it is a lethal weapon. Um. Somebody was asking, uh, asking, oh, asking, um, oh dear. Um, somebody was asking what you think about the Maxine passport. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know what I think about it, obviously. Right. I mean, you know, from my last answer, this, this is uh, vehicular. It's a, it's a vehicle. It's an instrumentality for other things in my, in my uh, not so humble opinion. And, and you know, this, you already know this, of course. Um, people are, are saying, do not cut your hair. They like the Kentucky waterfall. Oh, you want the Kentucky waterfall? Yeah. That's what they're, I mean, I'm going to, I'm just a few inches off that. I'm going to probably keep it long. She freaks out if I try uh -huh. to cut it, but yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, you see, it's it's nice to have these earphones because you can get the kind of you can push it out, you can do what you want, can try different things, different days. Unless you're uh, Steve Harrington from Stranger Things, you know, it's hard to get it to stand up like that without without other other apparatus. And I and it's nice to try different things, different days. I'm sounding, yeah, sounding modular in preparation for tomorrow's uh, executive order from Biden, which is going to be bad. Stay tuned, people. Get in those classes. I'm telling you, ask anyone you know in the retrogrades community what their experience was like with the uh, Aristotle's ethics class or the church history class. You're going to get a good answer. People learned a lot, and you have eight days to get in the church history class. It's a lot more exciting than it sounds. Ask anyone. Also, that we um, we probably should have said this all along, but there is something we offer with the classes, and um, it's kind of like a social hour per week for all the students to get together and um, just kind of have a meeting. And it's actually grown quite a bit. And I think a lot of the students are actually meeting in in uh, some city in the south this summer because they've they've grown some some real friendships and 
a good community there. So there's there's with the class you get kind of you know a social social hour and you get Tim will appear for an office hour live once a week too. And a lot of times they talk about you know just random stuff. Stuff. I always ask, hey, do you have questions from the readings? And about 20, 30 minutes will be that. And then the rest of the time they're just like, hey you know, you bought any new basketball cards lately or, about the Milo interview or or interviews, <laughs> people. but I mean, so I'm not there it, at the, the social hour after class on Tuesdays, that's called affectionately the brick wall hour for this. And the attendees are called the brickheads, which, <laughs> which is hilarious. And yeah, there's even whispers of um, having a, a, a brickheads meeting close enough to a place that I could get where, where maybe we'll, we'll all have a little meetup this summer and uh, just whispers. whispers. So, so yeah, so it's really worth your while. It's kind of like another way of being a, a, a patron without being a patron. Not all these people are, there's a lot of overlap, but if you, if you want, they're the real classes. The office hour can be social and the, the brickhead hour is purely social and I'm not even there, but you meet good people. And um, I think, has anyone begun dating? Have there been any love connections on the brick I'm hoping wall there will be. I'd love to go to a wedding. Brick wall that. wedding? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would be delighted. I think people are there kind of looking, you I know, would, yeah. looking for love and in all the right places. Yeah. But but the classes are serious. I mean, yeah. the Aristotle's ethics, people just, just look at the testimonials. We're going to publish those soon. Go to timothyjgordon.com, click enroll. Aristotle's ethics were halfway through the second run of the class. We're beginning the second run of church history. And people were like, wow, this class is really fun. And we learned a lot. Now we know how to debate what's going on in the church. I'm like, yeah, of course, man. We go through the ecumenical councils. At the end, we, we close on Vatican II, a high note or a low note, depending on how you see it. And um, the classes are real. It's real lecture for, for 50 to five, 55 minutes every day. But, but you, you do get to socialize with yours truly some at the office hour and it's it's a weekly thing and then you you can meet uh, maybe your spouse on office hour that you know we are we're an anti-human trafficking channel here obviously but <laughs> but uh you know people people i think are using it to meet other youngsters uh, youngsters good, good of age <laughs> meet meet other other youth you know young adults just good friends as well just good friends all right. God bless you guys. Go to timothyjgordon.com and sign up if you ever dreamed of taking a class with a with a with a man with lethal weapon hair. This is your chance. We're starting next Thursday. Rules for retrogrades. That'll be an interesting course too. In addition to uh, in addition to church history. God bless you guys. Day is volt. Stay strong. Keep your head on a swivel. Peace.